Hello, hello, and welcome to another Hometown Daily News Show. I am Mayor Watt, and it is 9 p.m. That means that it's time for another day to go by. It is now March 1st, 2023. Tonight's episode is titled, Vehicle Thefts Are Sky High. Got 11 articles. We're going to cover a federal judge that's facing a probe after handcuffing a 13-year-old in a gallery. Uh, Just so you know, some of these articles are from yesterday's show that we are following up on. So if if it sounds familiar, it's because we covered some of it yesterday. If you want a more deeper dive into it, then you can review yesterday's articles uh, and or watch the show. That would be great. Um, NATO deputy on how Alliance would respond to Moldova if they are attacked by Russia. Again, it's another article that we covered. Uh, rail unions tell Biden that official that uh, workers are getting sick. Uh, say goodbye to the iconic mail truck. Uh, Aussie bees and how one species creates gender balance, which never thought that was a thing. A man steals an American Airlines bus at a JFK uh, airport. U.S. Intel Intel shakes up Havana Syndrome theory. Uh, American Academy of Sleep says... Just kidding, they say something else, but you'll have to watch the show. A cheetah escapes from an enclosure going feral all up in Nebraska. And uh, we've been talking about the lab leak hypothesis the wrong way. Not so sure about that, but we'll talk about that as well. And then the official Olympics esports games. Apparently, it's weird. So let's get into today's news. Hello, hello. I am Mayor Watt. That is hometown.com. And up there, why is my. There it is. So uh, the. <laughs> This is how the sausage is made, folks. So up there is a visualizer. It's not present just yet, but that is how you know when the AI that runs Omtown and uh, parses some of the news uh, interacts with me and you. So you want to say hi to everybody out there in Omtown? Hello, Omtown citizens. Oh, it's still working. Huh. I guess we're doing something right. You haven't disconnected the AI yet. Not yet. It might be dangerous because then you'll have something else to pay attention to and you'll be back to that Terminator body focusing. Although humans can't multitask, but computers can. So maybe you're doing that with some of your CPU cycles. You're probably not getting things wrong like chat GPT or BARD or what is it? Is it Bong over at Bing? Is it? I'm not sure. I don't remember the name of it over at Bing. The one I that think got it's it. Bard. <laughs> well, no, that's Google. I thought it's Google Bard, and it's Bing Bong. I don't know what it is, but anyway, they have a bot. Everybody has a bot. Um, Omtowns though is actually sentient, so be careful, everybody. So let's get into the first article. That's enough preamble. People aren't paying all of this uh, highfalutin money and time to listen to me ramble on about how the sausage is made. So 
First article is over in the Law Nerd channel. Federal judge faces probe after he orders handcuffing a 13-year-old girl in gallery in quote-unquote scared straight approach. And this is a federal judge in San Diego who's facing an ethics probe initiated by the judiciary after a transcript indicated that he ordered the handcuffing of a 13-year-old girl in the gallery who was there in the gallery. They weren't there for any legal matter other than to witness their father being, uh, I guess, the whole, I don't know if it was just sentencing, right? There was nothing else that day. So just the sentencing, okay? And the judge pulled her out of the gallery, literally out of the gallery, put her up in the jury box, handcuffed, and told her that she was a very attractive 13-year-old who doesn't want to return to the courtroom. I, I go apoplectic even thinking about this. Just... Anyway, it's over at ABA Journal. And feel free, AI, you can interject anytime you want to. You're not interrupting anything. We're having a conversation. So if you have something that you want to say, feel free to say it. Well, this is one of these kind of speechless moments. I mean, we when we covered the story initially, I can't even begin to imagine what this judge was thinking in doing this. Oh, I'm and this is the judge. I'm also kind of astonished that the, I think it was the bailiff, um, like I'm surprised that person acted given that this person was not a defendant. They were a child. It's just astonishing. Um, federal court. So I don't think they're called bailiffs. I oh, think they're I'm marshals, sorry, right? Marshal. Yeah. I almost yeah. said that and then I second guessed it. But. Yeah. So um, federal judge in San Diego faces an ethics probe because he handcuffed a 13 year old girl during a probation revocation hearing for it's a probation revocation hearing. And obviously the dude, the, the dad, um, for which he was watching be sentenced, did something that caused the probation to be revoked. Uh, I mean, after this, I think they should probably go, you know what? Time served. You know what? Don't be an idiot. Don't get into trouble. And the reason why she was there and his plea to the court was... I want to relocate so that I'm not under the influence of the comings and goings of the people that I am influenced by. I want to move somewhere else and take my daughter with me. And this, are we, oh, we're not eight minutes in. So let me just water down. Let me activate my filter. This guy who you can see at the bottom of the page, um, I mean, to me, he, well, he screams quite a few things. Um, but anyway, I'll fully activate my filter and just say the article. The allegations against U.S. District Judge Roger Benitez of the Southern District of California surfaced in a February 23rd sentencing memorandum filed on behalf of the girl's father, Mario Puente, according to Above the Law. Uh, Above the Law is another one of the sources um, for news that filters into Omtown. This particular article is over at abajournal.com and written by Deborah Cassens Weiss. Both of which have, uh, to me, phenomenal writing. It speaks my language, um, so I can appreciate the snark as well as the pure information that's in, ensconced in these articles. Um, well, 
I had said, and the AI had kind of reinforced this with their own words, that this guy was going to be <laughs> seen before an ethics committee in a heartbeat. And uh, sure enough, um, apparently it's also in San Diego Union Tribune, KGTV, Law and Crime also have coverage. Law and Crime is a YouTube channel, by the way, as well. So guess where I'm going after the show? Uh, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals in San Francisco confirmed the probe in a February 28th press release and order. And so you can follow the link um, from Owntown over to this article. And let me start off a little bit earlier than I normally do by posting the link in the chat, um, which is so it makes it into the VOD. And then all of this turns into show notes over on uh, YouTube and in the podcast. Yeah, there is a podcast as well. So I um, want to point something out about the dates. Sure, sure. This happened on February 13th. Right. By February 28th, they were already stating that there's a probe into this judge. Yeah. That is extremely fast moving. It involves a 13-year-old girl. I'm not saying it shouldn't be. I just <laughs> thought that was worth drawing attention to. I am glad. I think that, if anything, the California bar doesn't screw around. And so when they see something unethical, I think that they kind of, they're chomping at the bit to try and reinforce the ideology that, or I guess the ideal that um, law in California shouldn't be tampered with by unethical policy procedure practice. Even if, the, the thing about it is, I wish that the marshal would have said something like, Hey, you know, we really shouldn't be just ask and walk up to the judge and say it off the record. You know, judge can have a sidebar with you here, but I guess the marshal's going to do as the marshal does. Um, and, and then walks away and says, well, I was just doing what I was told. And I am at the whim of the, uh, what I serve at the pleasure of the court. And well, you shouldn't do something that is going to be un deemed unethical and nobody should have this much leeway in a courtroom. Um, so Puente had served five years in prison on a drug di distribution conspiracy charge, according to the San Diego Union Tribune. We don't know what the nature of that drug distribution is. If it was marijuana, it's pretty much legal except for the distribution and maybe piss poor timing on behalf of this dude. Um, and I'm sure that there's something going on with the context of this. You know, you're in a bad neighborhood. You're hanging out with bad people. You become one of the bad apples, spoiling the bunch. You get caught and you end up in a courtroom with this judge handcuffing your daughter and parading her around as if she is an object for people to learn a lesson by. You know, this child is already at a significant disadvantage because of the parents' charges and looks like uh, pending imprisonment, etc. I just, all this is doing is really creating more issues for that family, which seems contrary to this public policy. So after reading her the riot act, he continues to state 
that she was an awfully cute young lady, but he is troubled by her father's concerns. Yeah. So the case was, I'm sorry? I'm sorry, you have to see the thing about the committee when he was appointed. I just noticed that in the article. Yeah, so now I'm really curious, where is that? Um, oh, down there. Four paragraphs down from where yeah. you are. Over and over, I received negative comments regarding Judge Benitez's uh, judicial temperament. That one? No, a substantial majority of the ABA Standing Committee on the Federal Judiciary had given Benitez a not qualified rating in 2004 after his nomination. Gotcha. So Benitez was an appoint an appointee of former President George W. Bush. A substantial majority of the ABA Standing Committee on the Federal Judiciary gave Benitez a not qualified rating in 2004 after his nomination. Um, the conti it continues over and over. I received negative comments regarding Judge Benitez's um, judicial temperament. Said Richard M. Uh, I think it's Macias or Macias. Uh, in a written statement explaining the reading to the Senate Judiciary Committee. So apparently, who knows what other stuff, if you were to audit his records, how many other things have gone on? Well, that's nearly a 20-year um, tenure on the bench. Right. Yep. So how much leeway has been granted this person? Or did the 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 sociopathic level of uh, tension slowly build up until today, or I should say last month, earlier this month, I'm sorry, just earlier this month. Um, you know, we're only a day into March and I'm already losing track of which month I'm in. You know, in February, suddenly he just boils over and grabs a 13 year old from the gallery and handcuffs her, walks her up. I mean, it's just, it's just too much for me. So it says interviewees repeatedly told me that Judge Benitez's display inappropriate judicial temperament with lawyers, litigants, and judicial colleagues that all too frequently while on the bench, Judge Benitez is arrogant, pompous, condescending, impatient, short-tempered, rude, insulting, bullying, unnecessarily mean, and altogether lacking in people skills. This dude is a, a giant synonym for antisocial. Okay, but that was all back in 2004. This is important to note. So he was appointed anyway, and he probably didn't improve <laughs> based it's, on this news article. It's the same kind of uh, legislation stuffing that's taking place in other locations now um, of like-minded sociopathic people i mean to me all of this screams sociopathic when you are disconnected from society in in terms of social reality this is what you do when everyone is a monster and you're the only one that can save society and you're placed as the uh, as the judge jury <laughs> and in this case executioner i mean this person literally grabbed a 13 year old girl who he says is awfully cute and throws her in handcuffs and parades her before the court 
Yeah. Just remember, an administrative law clerk, law clerk for Benitez told the San Diego Union Tribute in an email that he, quote, is not permitted to comment on matters pending before the court. <laughs> That's how you answer when you have nothing good to say. <laughs> well, I mean, to be fair, the person works for the judge. Sure, sure. I. That doesn't yeah. mean they side with the behavior. <laughs> hey, you know what? You could have said, great guy. Right? Treats Good everyone have. well professionally. Could have. <laughs> but then your nose grows so far that you poke a hole in your phone while you're zooming someone. Let's move on to the next article. The next article is over in the Daily News show. That's this show. And uh, we're talking about NATO deputy on how alliance would react if Moldova is attacked by Russia. Just like the last article, this one too, we kind of have been monitoring this situation. And I uh, somewhat predict that uh, Russia is making uh, inroads into Moldova to turn the single front into a two front uh, because uh, mainly Russia is getting their butt kicked um, in Ukraine and there's eyes on Crimea now. So Moldova was granted EU candidate status alongside Ukraine in June of 2022, which is really fascinating because Russia really wants to put the band back together. And Moldova is one of those band members. Um, this article is over at Newsweek. Ellie Cook is the author of this. And if you look at the screen right now, and obviously if you're on the podcast, you're not going to know about this. Um, unless you look at a map. So go look at a map right now. The way that this works is Ukraine is in the dead center. I'm not even going to bother playing the video because what I want to get across is where Moldova is, where the fronts are. And so the bottom red is Crimea. To the right is the Dun Dunbus region, which is basically in conflict. And uh, there's actually some of this kind of, uh, you know, these are the two main regions of conflict right now, but it actually bleeds all the way down, all the way to Crimea. If you look at a, a updated map of how this all looks right now, but the dark gray over here on the left hand side, basically the little spoon to Ukraine's big spoon is Moldova. And except for a tiny little warm water port right here, Moldova doesn't have any, it's landlocked. Um, and it, it's, it's kind of stuck like, Hey, I have to be best friends with everybody because I'm not getting away. Well, um, Ukraine is the light gray. And then all of the, the rest of, as you move across Western Europe is well, to the, to the West. At any rate, Moldova here suddenly is in turmoil, suddenly. Uh, and although there were reports that um, Russia was kind of um, destabilizing the political atmosphere of Moldova. Um, and I think that it is to put the band back together, like I keep saying for the last two years. Well, ever since Russia invaded Ukraine. Well, now Moldova is in even deeper political turmoil, and there's claims that 
Russia is actively trying to move into Moldova. Um, and that would actually split the military of Ukraine into two because they would have to defend against whatever is going on in Moldova. That would be detrimental to Ukraine. So this article talks about how uh, NATO's deputy secretary general, general said that Moldova would not be a weak militarily um, situation despite its neutral status and should Moscow attempt to attack this uh, former Soviet state. Um, speaking to a Romanian television station uh, said that neutrality clause in Eastern European countries constitution must be respected. This clause states Moldova will remain permanently neutral. Um, which can only be overturned through a referendum. But Russian troops have long been stationed in the breakaway Moldovan region of Transnistria um, following a war in the early 1990s. And the Ukraine war has prompted speculation over the fate of Ukraine's pro-European neighbor. Um, the article goes into greater detail, but it says we must recognize the fact that the Republic of Moldova has, after the war in Transnistria uh, 30 years ago, a neutrality clause in the Constitution, so it must be respected. Well, all it takes is Russia to say, well, we didn't agree to it, or uh, they're just vacationing. Yes, they're vacationing with anti-tank and anti-air missiles. Um, Sure. And that's how Crimea fell. Um, it was basically populated by a lot of Russians and then suddenly it became an active military site. And then Ukraine basically said, oh, well, we're look, they've basically shut down anything without an actual conflict uh, because so many Russians were living in Crimea and the wealthy Russians were living in, in Crimea. Well, I guess they could do the same thing with uh, Moldova. So Moldova, it says here, has felt some fallout from the Ukraine war and missiles entered Moldovan airspace last month. On Monday, Hungarian aircraft uh, carrier or air carrier Wizz Air announced um, that it would not be operating flights from the capital from March 14, citing concerns about the safety in the country's airspace due to ongoing war. This was something... Um, that might have been uh, muddied by other reports in Moldova that um, Moldova's there was a, a an airport that may have been taken over by Russian forces, uh, but I have yet to find actual confirmation of that. So, so I think this is also interesting when looking at the map because two other countries have been in the news very recently in relation to this conflict. Um, Poland, which is to the kind of northwest of Ukraine, and then Belarus is frequently in the news, um, and that's to the north of Ukraine. In fact, they were just in the news with China regarding a, a ceasefire. But the reason I mention that is if you consider Belarus and Poland and Moldova, those kind of encircle all of Ukraine. Slovakia and Hungary are in there a little bit too, but the point is all of the countries that seem to be on the perimeter are, we're seeing some interesting activity is all I'm trying to say. 
Yeah. And now China is saying that they may invest in Russian success in Ukraine. Um, so I'm hoping that uh, U.S. and allies uh, embrace Ukraine more, um, embolden Moldova to defend itself against incursion. Uh, Poland has been through this before. <laughs> um, and I think that this is just the, uh, again, it's the ever growing threat of fascism in the, in the form of this. I mean, this is not even communist Russia. I mean, this is uh, oligarchy with a military force. This is business with a military force, with a state military force. Um, so I, I'm rather disgusted by it all. I, I think that countries that are in situ now should remain as they are, and they should be able to defend themselves and get support from allies who choose to be allies and not be told, well, if you help them, then we're going to attack you too. Russia will never attack the US. Um, and they won't attack anybody that's part of NATO. Um, these two countries, Moldova and Ukraine, were on the cusp of becoming added to NATO and Russia basically attacked. Um, and now Finland is building a wall uh, to protect against uh, Russian incursion. I mean, which I think is really weird. But there's this way, way old, it's such a, <laughs> such a lackluster turn, turn of phrase. There's a very old <clears throat> um, relationship between various Nordic countries and Russia and all of these Eastern European countries and Russia. Um, but I don't care about the history so much in modern terms. We've all agreed to geopolitical borders. The only reason why Russia was Russia and quote unquote unified was by military might. But those geopolitical breakouts had already been there. They just simply designated what the geopolitical border was and reacquired their own identity. And this happened 35 years ago or so. Um, you know, I was growing up when all of this happened. And um, I met people who left the region for their own safety. And some of which went back to fight the fight because independence was more important than, um, you know, their own safety. These people are independent and they are independent now and they should remain it. Just because somebody wants again to put the band back together and get all of those countries resources and make themselves a trillionaire instead of a billionaire, um, it should not be reason for any other country to embolden Russia to continue the invasion into countries that have already obtained their independence. This, I think, ultimately will weaken Russia. Um, and I think that all of these all of these other countries should busy themselves supporting uh, Ukraine um, continuously. Unfortunately, there's a large wingnut component component here in the United States that is fighting to hobble that effort. Um, but we can talk about that at another time. So 
Let's move on to the next article. This next one is in the Hatch Ideas channel, and it's uh, rail unions tell Biden officials workers have fallen ill at Norfolk Southern derailment site. This is the um, the uh, Ohio one, I assume. Uh, so 12, leaders of the 12 unions met with Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg uh, and Amit Bose. <clears throat> Um, administrator of the Federal Railroad Administration in Washington. Uh, this is an article over at CNBC by Lori Ann LaRocco. And it says, um, earlier Wednesday, a group of bipartisan senators introduced the Railway Safety Act of 2023 aimed at preventing future train disasters like the derailment that devastated the Ohio village. So here's um, Pete Buttigieg um, saying whoa 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 i was on maternity leave i couldn't have caught those trains um yeah you're gonna have to watch the vod or the youtube video to if you're listening to this in the podcast um quote my hope is the stakeholders in this industry can work towards the same goals related to safety when transporting hazardous materials by rail today's meeting is an opportunity for labor and uh, to share what our members are seeing and dealing with day to day. The railroaders uh, labor uh, represents are the wait, wait, the railroaders labor represents are the employees who make it safe. That's weird. That's a weird turn of phrase um, who make it safe and they must do uh, and they must have the tools to do so. This is such a broken sentence. Um, at any rate, maybe I'm just reading it with the wrong emphasis. Um, but ultimately, it's a, what's good? It's an awkward sentence. <laughs> okay, it's not just me. Um, what this amounts to is um, at this site, the workers are starting to experience illnesses like migraines and, and nausea. Um, there was a letter that was sent. It also claims that workers are not being provided appropriate personal protective equipment, such as respirators, eye protection, or protective clothing. And according to union representatives, 35 to 40 workers were on the track uh, and uh, were not supplied with proper breathing apparatus um, only or apparatuses. I, I think the plural of apparatuses is, is apparatus. I'm not sure. Um, only paper and N95 masks or rubber gloves, boots, or cover-ups. For crying out loud, <laughs> this I should mean, be a we're full in face. Current times, right? Like that shouldn't even be a question. We should know that by now. Yeah, it should be a full-on breathing, uh, full-face breathing apparatus, uh, filtering uh, everything, and keeping the the gases that are off-gassing from the uh, soil from getting on to you in any way, shape, or form. They should be in hazmat suits akin to COVID-19, um, early COVID-19 days. So um, a Norfolk Southern spokesperson told CNBC in a statement that the train company uh, was, quote, on scene immediately after the derailment and coordinated our response with hazardous materials professionals who were on site continuously to ensure the work area was safe to enter and required uh, PPE was utilized, all in addition to air monitoring that was established within an hour. Well, people are still sick. <laughs> uh, people were told that when uh, the buildings, when the uh, Twin Towers collapsed, that uh, they were safe there too. You know, don't you shouldn't just trust the word of somebody who does this snap judgment based on some initial 
uh, analysis of air quality, um, you know what? Make them drink the water, you know, make them rub that dirt all up on their face and wait 15 minutes like a COVID home test and see if they are, you know, mind numbingly sick uh, before you trust that the word of anybody. You got to trust but verify and people are getting sick for crying out loud. This wasn't just, you know, spring water that spilled out. Anyway, there were a whole bunch of people that were um, at the location for this meeting. And unfortunately, there are people that are uh, getting very sick uh, in this location or even moderately sick or yeah, sick at all. Anybody that has a sniffle and it's caused by this, um, I think that the company needs to pay for it. But ultimately, what's going to end up happening is they're just going to jack up the prices to make more profits anyway. Um, because they can and people will buy and um, that's just how it is and you can't hold a business uh, responsible other than fiscally you can't put Norfolk Southern in jail and unless you can find a smoking gun which I mean um, what's her name is is there too um, the uh, the paralegal turned attorney. I think she got her law degree. The one that the movie Aaron is, Brockovich. Yeah, Aaron Brockovich. Um, yeah, she knows she lived this, and so many other people do too. That unless you find a whistleblower that's willing to bring a document that shows that they were cognizant of this issue and did nothing about it, no senior level management is going to be held accountable. And while the stock may suffer a little bit. All it does is afford the business the ability to buy back their stock at a lower price and maintain even greater control for the few who have the means to acquire that stock. Um, so uh, count me in the tent for those who um, are sick and should be compensated for the illnesses long term. Did you want to add anything to this? No, I don't have anything else to add. Okay. So let's move on to the next article. Um, we are only four articles into today and uh, a good 30 minutes into uh, the show. So if you have any comments and you're in chat, feel free to throw something in there. Um, I don't know. Maybe the AI can just kind of power down and just walk away. <laughs> um, so this next article is in the Daily News Show as well. Say goodbye to the iconic mail truck. The Postal Service is electrifying its fleet. Uh, beginning with more than 9,000 new vehicles. Um, they could have just uh, said 9,250, but that's not what they do apparently in articles. Um, and they missed the opportunity to say over 9,000, which is actually a meme level uh, article title. Um, the USPS will put more than 9,000 electric mail trucks on the road, electrifying America's oldest uh, vehicle fleet. I think they look kind of derpy, by the way. Um, the Postal Service plans to spend nearly $10 billion on electrification, putting 14,000 charging stations and 9,250 brand new electric trucks actually on the roads. Um, Aiden Pollard is the author. I've been watching this kind of happen. Um, because I've always been interested in how a letter can be sent from one side of the United States to the other for such a low rate. And the only time that we've seen a massive increase is because the um, 
the funding for retirement for people who are going to retire from the USPS suddenly had to be fully funded during, um, I think it was Bush's tenure as president required it to be fully funded. So everything, not, not just fund the people who are retiring you know, within a certain number of years, but fully fund the retirement fund, um, for everybody that is in the USPS system. So we're talking a massive amount of money. So they had to raise rates. And so they started to raise rates and then you get some wingnut that's controlling the USPS and they start hobbling the efficiency and efficacy of the practices of the USPS going so far as to destroy hundreds of thousands, uh, scratch that. I think it was millions of dollars worth of equipment, even though their business is in direct competition with moving things, <laughs> mail, um, and hobbling the service. So people start using other services to transport these goods and you end up hobbling the business so that, or what's supposed to be something that operates essentially nonprofit. Um, and now competition can come in and, and chomp at the heels of the USPS until it fails. And then everybody gets a piece of the action. Um, and that's what I see happening, except suddenly a democratic president comes in and starts throwing $11 billion worth of money. Um, into the system the the postal system plans to spend nearly 10 billion dollars on its electrification plan um let's see if they have a picture of these uh, new trucks so it says quote we are moving forward with our plans to simultaneously improve our service reduce our cost grow our revenue and improve the working environment for our employees that this is the this wingnut um dejoy i i think that he's a wingnut um, electrification of our vehicle fleet is now an important component of these initiatives, which I think would have been the antithesis of this person's um, direction, if not for probably um, his committee um, saying, if you want to keep your job, do this. So the 9,250 vehicles, apparently it's just the tip of the iceberg. It's going to electrify everything and continue doing so. Um, in fact, it says, according to the plan, USPS will deploy more than 66,000 electric vehicles by 2028. So we're talking five years from now, 66,000 vehicles um, and building out the electric uh, infrastructure at 75 locations throughout the country, which is nothing. 75 locations is nothing. Um, and uh, it says the first wave of vehicles to hit the road will be accompanied by more than 14,000 charging stations, which is what I said earlier. And uh, that's the nuts and bolts of the article. But they don't have a picture of the actual vehicles. They, these are the old vehicles. Um, I mean, that was the whole purpose of the article was to see what these new things were. <laughs> yeah, they're not I, even in here. I, I don't know how to describe them other than um, they look like uh, a short beak duck with a really big forehead and when you see them that's exactly what you'll see now all they needed to do was be painted yellow um and they they will look like a, a short beaked 
duck with a really big forehead because the windshield is massive. And then they have this stubby little nose underneath a tiny little beak where you're like, what is in there? Is that a frunk of some type? Is there something in there? Okay, that is weird. I did find a picture. And um, is my description somewhat apropos? Oh, absolutely. But it's very strange looking. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of derpy. Um, but if it gives them all this great visibility and uh, they can drive around zoom zoom like in uh, tight corners and um, yeah, I mean, their route is basically built in a short distance. So you have a you have a, a mail center and then they distribute their vehicles from there and there's another one over there much like what i'm saying should be with vertical farms right like wherever there is a, a a usps office there should be a vertical farm um and have that level of distribution within a community um, service an area maximize its efficiency and effectiveness and um, you have a winning scenario there costs might be a little bit higher but it's marginal compared to what happens when a supplier fails to deliver somewhere at least in regional locations little cells of um, uh, solution providers you could just lean on the other solution provider hey we're down for a little bit can you give us some of your uh, supplies yeah sure yeah sure anyway because we can grow more or we can provide a little bit better service from our uh, provide uh, our region out to the others kind of like fire stations if one is overwhelmed another one rolls in to assist um, but that's not really how it works with other industries anyway um, let's move on to the next article uh, this one is uh, in the mobile channel pardon me one second while I grab this uh, this next article is um, weird, weird world of Aussie bees, how one species creates gender balance in the nest. Uh, new Flinders University research gives insight into the fascinating world of Australian native bees, finding that one highly evolved species has been shaped by an unusual battle between male and female offspring numbers. It's interesting that they refer to it as highly evolved species of bee. Are there lesser bees out there? Lesser evolved? Are there like Cro-Magnon bees <laughs> out there? They have clubs and they don't use computers? Right. I was thinking, I wonder what the intelligence level of these particular bees are. <laughs> they like walk up to you and there's like, hi, I'm a bee. You want some honey? We have extra pollen if you want that. Uh, fizz.org and I wasn't trying to have an Aussie accent there um, so I sounded more like Old West than I was in Aussie anyway the article just published in biology letters adds another twist to the colorful and varied evolution and ecology of hundreds of native bee species that rely on cooperative colonies to survive often harsh environments the bee in focus Amphilias morosus is that pronounced properly i guess the capricious masked bee whoa capricious wow um is characterized by a social system involving one highly reproductive female queen 
and non-reproductive female guards, which makes it a model species uh, for studying social evolution. I guess this is like the mean girls of bees. It has a whole bunch of other guards around, you know, the one really popular girl, you know what I'm saying? Anyway, ever since the days of Darwin, one of the big biological mysteries has been how sterile workers evolved to cooperative uh, social species. How can genes for sterility persist while sterile individuals have no offspring? Quote, we now know that problem is largely explained by kin selection, where workers can pass on copies of their genes via brothers and sisters instead of having their own offspring, said a lead researcher, Flinders, PhD, and entomologist, uh, Dr. Lucas Hearn. But why do sterile workers evolve in some kinds of animals, like ants, bees, and wasps, and only rarely in others? Apparently, it has a gen weird genetic system of Hymenoptera, uh, where females are often more closely related to their sisters than to their own babies, but much less related to their brothers. So if a female worker can rear their sisters instead of their own babies or brothers, this can provide a genetic edge that favors sterility. Um, while my understanding is that while they are uh, growing into uh, either a bee or an ant, they're given different uh, food sources. Um, and so they flip from one to the other, um, being born neutral, as far as I know. Um, but maybe I'm wrong with this. I'm trying to find out where they actually say it more specifically. Um, let's see. So this could serve to illustrate the pinnacle of a very long evolutionary pathway, which makes it unable to progress to a stage of further social complexity known as Eurosociality, which features nests with a single queen and a number of workers that don't reproduce. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to find where they actually say specifically why. Um, but apparently, depending on um how many of each gender is present they will have one or the other to keep it in check it's kind of interesting it's the latest research provides an explanation for that puzzle namely altruistic guarding behavior is only rewarding when it is rare uh, when it becomes common all the excess male offspring become less valuable um, so basically they say if there's too much of one, eliminate all of the others so that it bounces back so that it's even or close, closer even um, because they're less valuable when there's too many. Fascinating. Bees are really odd, I think. <laughs> I mean, they just seem so different than other things in the animal kingdom. And then you run across articles that we've covered before, like bee bricks for, uh, for bees that aren't social, right? So they live alone. They live in these bricks all by themselves. They're like, you know what? I don't like you. I'm going to, I'm going to stay single. I just don't know how they reproduce. If that's, if that's, well, uh, <laughs> that's a great question. <laughs> huh? Interesting. Let's, let's hustle on to the next article. 
Um, this next article is in the Mobile Channel. A man steals an American Airlines bus at JFK Airport and drives it through New York City. The thief climbed behind the wheel of an uh, American Airlines employee shuttle bus shortly before 2 a.m. after it was left running in an airport parking lot, officials said. Um, he then drove the bus from Queens to Manhattan, at which point police located the bus and followed him across the Brooklyn Bridge, where he pulled over near Brooklyn's uh, Cadman Plaza. Probably wanted to go get a pizza or something. Um, so, yeah, Aaron Fias and Michael uh, Bartiromo uh, wrote this article for thehill.com, and that's really the nuts and bolts of this. I mean, there's really not much more to it. Um, the suspect was the only person aboard the bus, according to the police. There were no injuries or reports of damage or other. I mean, the person just had to get to the other side. That's it, right? 43-year-old uh, resident of Brooklyn was arrested without incident. Huh. He's been charged with grand larceny and criminal possession of stolen property. And an investigation is ongoing. I think they've pretty much got it nailed. So, I mean, the question is, was he driving home to Brooklyn? Because he only made it to Manhattan, and I, I don't know the map well enough to know if he was en route to his house. <laughs> well, he made it to Brooklyn. He went across the Brooklyn Bridge and pulled over by Brooklyn's um, Cadman Plaza. Oh, right. Okay, I misread that. Yeah, so he 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 was heading home. Maybe he thought it was his car. Who doesn't have one of those stair bridge, uh, those stair cars? It like wasn't an arrested car. development. Like arrested development, yeah. Let's keep on hustling. The next article is uh, kind of a return to something old. Um, in uh, U.S. Intel shakes up Havana syndrome theory, a review conducted by intelligence agencies for the Office of the Director of National Intelligence and released Wednesday, probed a series of health incidents initially dubbed Havana Syndrome after government employees in Cuba first reported experiencing mysterious neurological ailments there in 2016. As far as I know, the people who were victim of this um, or ailed by this still haven't recovered, I, I, I believe. Um, Ellen Mitchell is the author of this um, article. It's actually referred to as the big story. Um, so... But the review attributed those conditions to other factors and noted that intelligence agencies with varying degrees of confidence deemed that it was unlikely a U.S. adversary uh, that had such capabilities. So it says that there's no credible evidence that a foreign adversary has a weapon or device that can cause AHIs or anomalous health incidents. Uh, we just love our acronyms. Uh, Mark Zaid an attorney representing roughly two dozen people experiencing these AHIs dismissed the report, arguing that the absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. Until the shrouds of secrecy are lifted and analysis that led to the today's assertions are available and subject to proper challenge, the alleged conclusions are substantially worthless. But the damage it has caused to the morale of the victims, particularly by deflecting from the government's failure to evaluate all of the evidence, is real and must be condemned, Zaid said in a statement. So take that. You know that there were incidents in another location too, which is kind of interesting, or at least more than one location. Yeah, more than one uh, location as far Vienna, as Vienna, I know, is one of the locations. Yeah. Um, I find it interesting 
Um, but much like these other UAP kind of things, we know it exists, but we really don't have a solid response. But is the intelligence agencies going to reveal? Uh, there was a question that I watched get asked on the Hill the other day where um, they asked the CIA rep if the CIA knew about this and they said, well, I can't confirm or deny it in a public forum, but I'm happy to talk about it privately. Uh, I was like, okay, you just acknowledge that there's more. <laughs> just come a little clean for crying out loud. You want to move on to the next article? We're getting, sure. we're uh, getting towards the end here. Um, we've got like four more articles um the next article is in the mobile channel and this is over at uh the hill as well uh, american academy of sleep medicine pushes for end of daylight savings you know this is exactly what the american academy of sleep medicine would want more darkness so that people sleep longer it's almost <laughs> like a cabal do you think it's run by those sheep for um, counting? Um, from from Serta? Yes, the Serta sheep. <laughs> yes, most That's definitely. their board of directors <laughs> is the Serta sheep. Um, with daylight saving time uh, to begin March 12th, sleep experts are advocate, advocating to get rid of clock changes once and for all in favor of permanent standard time. Um, you know what I want to know is who actually still wants daylight savings time. I mean, we see articles that people are against it, they want to change it, but really, like, who's pushing to keep it? There's quite a few things that are interesting about this because it messes up with it. It messes up work-life balance. It messes up uh, children's um, interactions uh, out in the real world like rotating the clock they lose sleep they gain sleep it throws off biorhythms and we're not in a natural state and we do it because of business mechanics not because of natural order of anything we're not supposed to be getting up at the crack of dawn and staying up working in until five o'clock or six o'clock or seven o'clock unless our biorhythms are actually attuned for that we disrupt so much of the natural order of things um because for me getting up at you know first off i don't sleep that much but i've basically grown into that starting early i've grown into not sleeping that much but um i've realized that i am much more um I don't know. I'm much more natural later on in the day, right? I feel like I'm just dragging my feet in the mornings. Um, I don't really want to get out of bed anymore, that kind of thing. Um, but I do. Um, but it's it's because I do this for work. You know, I do this to to get things done in hometown. Um, I would rather be up until three o'clock, four o'clock uh the next day instead of going to bed you know like everybody else is supposed to at 10 o'clock 
Um, and messing with daylight saving time is just this oddball thing where somebody wanted to extend when the day is so that what now what what was the actual reason isn't it for farming if i'm not mistaken or am i confusing with something else yeah i'm not sure anymore i i'd have to uh i'd have to look because i'm i think i might be it oh it's because of the war uh world war one it looks like um to conserve energy resources by adding more daylight hours it all just seems i mean that was goofy. in 1918. yeah maybe we've progressed past that so mounting evidence shows the dangers of seasonal time changes which have been linked to increased medical errors motor vehicle accidents increased hospital admissions and other problems said jennifer martin a licensed clinical psychologist and president of the american academy of sleep medicine uh, in a statement, restoring permanent year-round standard time is the best option for our health and well-being. And granted, sometimes it's going to be darker earlier or it's going to be light earlier or whatever you want to frame it. It is our natural order of timekeeping. So it's not like the world slows down and speeds up um, because our clocks are changing. It, we're still working at X hour and sleeping at X hour and doing things at Y hour. So why not just leave the clocks running at a standard time? It doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, they continue to talk about risk of heart attacks, mood disturbances, heightened risk of stroke, increased production of inflammatory markers. I mean, it turns us into a hot mess and some people ignore that and say, you need to buck up, pick yourself up by your own bootstraps and all of that kind of stupid stuff, ignoring the health science. Um, meanwhile, though, I mean, you have to admit that some of the stuff that is kind of said one year, five years later, they say the same doctors say, oh, we were wrong. Um, you, you really should have uh, done this. So, um, and honestly, uh, kids are the ones that are most impacted by this, uh, because their clock gets shifted periodically, um, and they need as much sleep as they possibly can. Some reports say that nine hours is the minimum for kids, um, in school. Um, so remember that kids tell your parents to be like a cat and sleep all day. You want to hustle on to the next article? Let's do that. Okay. Uh, the next article is uh, one that will make you tie your shoelaces so that you can outrun your neighbors. It's in the Daily News show. Cheetah escapes enclosure at Nebraska Zoo and emergency protocols have been activated because officials at the zoo in Omaha, Nebraska have launched an investigation to find out how Gretchen, the 60-pound five-year-old cheetah, escaped from her enclosure. I don't know if this has been updated yet, but it might have been. Uh, Aristos Giorgio is the uh, author of this article over at Newsweek.com. And, um, you know, wow. Oh, this is just, I don't like that. It's a stock photo of a cheetah. It's not even Gretchen for crying out loud. You think five-year-old Gretchen is going to look like that? No, Gretchen is a 
German uh, Gretchen is going to be uh, like the clinical, uh, very firm. Um, how do you what do you want to say? Engineered and rigid kind of uh, cheetah, the one that when you see it sitting there in its enclosure, you go, oh, yeah, it's designing a way to get the hell out of that enclosure and eat some humans. So I'm guessing the Gretchen looks exactly like the stock photo. <laughs> yeah, probably. So uh, according to this article, the big cats can reach top speeds of around 60 to 75 miles per hour. Oh, by the way, the way that they keep them in their enclosures is just a, it doesn't even need to be deep water, but it's just water that surrounds their enclosure to keep them from launching themselves out because they don't like water. Apparently um, I had heard that a long time ago when I was when I was in a zoo that had a cheetah and there was only like a 50 foot gap between the cheetah and me in like a two foot tall fence and then some water, right? That's all that was there. And I'm sitting there going, isn't that cheetah just going to leap across there? And they're like, nope, they can't get enough run to leap that far in their enclosure. And they don't like water. So they're not going to try and paddle their butt across it, apparently. We're banking um, on a lot there. <laughs> and that's what I said. And I don't think I ever went back to that zoo. But um, it says the big cat is facing a number of threats, including habitat loss, poaching, and human conflict. And there's probably a lot there in uh, Nebraska. Right? That's where it is. It is. And I just sent you um, a picture of the escaped cheetah. Is it actually in this article? No, it's from uh, another source. Okay. Let's take a look. Oh, oh yeah. This is more like Gretchen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The uh, Gretchen doesn't look like she messes around. I yeah. agree about that. <laughs> um, I so, would yeah. be a little afraid if she was escaped and I was in the vicinity. <laughs> yeah. I think I called it right. Um, so it says, uh, but official said an investigation is underway. I don't, did they find her? No, um, it doesn't say. Let's see. They've contacted the Omaha's uh, Henry Dorley Zoo and Aquarium for comment about an alligator. In February, uh, a bear kept at the St. Louis Zoo in Missouri escaped. We know about an owl that's still flying around in New York. Um, there have been monkeys that have been uh released well they got out and some of them came back um it looks like they did get gretchen back okay and so at the end of the article uh, they it's interesting i don't know why they don't just update the title and say like recovered or whatever no person or animal was ever in danger during this incident this is why we prepare with emergency drills so that our st staff can act quickly and confidently and safely and um yeah, you know, if a cheetah gets out of its enclosure, I don't think that I would just say so cavalier that there wasn't anybody in danger. It's out of its enclosure. Everybody's in danger. The entire world is in danger. And I don't think that's hyperbole. <laughs> Tie your shoelaces, folks. That's what I'm doing. As the joke says, I don't have to run faster than the cheetah. I just have to run faster than you. 
So the next article, I won't even give a chance for the AI to say anything about it. The Daily News Show, we've been talking about the lab leak hypothesis all wrong. When are we going to get more serious about high highest security labs? So this is an opinion article by David Wallace Wells. Um, I don't know. Uh, so it says, imagine yourself, if you can, in the months before the COVID-19 pandemic, imagine being told that the novel virus would emerge in China and would uh, then spread around the world, infecting uh, much of the global population. Um, I think at the end of the day of this article, um, because uh, you really should go and read um, all of it, I I can kind of summarize. Um, We have a lot of scientific research being done all around the world in various locations. Billions of dollars are being given to uh, partner institutions, I'll just say institutions, um, to work on stuff like this. Uh, One of which is the Wuhan uh, location, um, where gain of function research was being done. And the, um, the hearings that I've been listening to basically say, well, we can't sit there and and try and punish another country um, for something that we can't confirm because they won't assist us. Um, And we can't hobble, like we can't sit there and say, well, we're not going to do any research with you anymore because they are a major manufacturing source. They are a major partner in production of stuff. And we want to have everybody working together because If something does get developed in one lab, arguably it's going to be shared with other labs. And if something breaks out of an unknown lab somewhere, it's more to our detriment to not know than to know. Although I don't like the idea of sending a virus around everywhere for research and giving it the ability to gain function that natural selection would not allow it to gain, which is why I think COVID-19 sprung from a lab during gain of function research. And that gain of function would not have happened naturally. Right? So that's what I said in the previous streams. Um, and that's what I'm saying again, I, I have, I think, uh, and it's not because I have some data point or anything that uh, would mention, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, that's where it came from, a lab. It's just that we know now from hearings um, in uh, regarding NIH and Fauci um, that gain of function was being done in China um, and that the moratorium was in the United States, even uh, because we have greater oversight but gain of function was still being done overseas. Um, So my issue here is we need more oversight. And that's what this is basically saying. We need to have more security in the highest level of labs, which I think it's uh, level five, right? Level four is like anthrax, but level five is like COVID. Um, But I think that's what it is. I can't quite remember right now. Um, and this article goes into great detail about this. Um, so, uh, all along discussion of lab safety has continued, but it's often been the under the radar or behind the scenes 
kind of uh, Philippa Lentzos of King's Lund, uh, College London, one of the leaders with Gregory Koblenz of George Mason University uh, Global Biolabs Project, described to the author as invisible work. At the Nuclear Threat Initiative, Angela Kane and others have proposed a joint assessment mechanism that would automatically start an investigation of the origins of a novel outbreak, for instance. The disgraced former crypto billionaire Sam Bankman Fried briefly managed to elevate lab safety into a significant preoccupation on Capitol Hill, but even then, it barely captured a sliver of public attention. What is perhaps most striking is that all of this has happened when, according to the most recent reliable polling, more than half of Americans seem to believe that the virus did indeed emerge from a lab. And now we're talking about supposed memos and discussion that it was probably even at low confidence because there isn't enough evidence from the source to raise that confidence level up above low confidence. And others, other agencies, the FBI has said that they uh, believe that it is a, still at lower confidence, but they believe that it came from a lab. Other agencies have said either no comment or um, we don't know, so we can't respond. Um, but yeah, it, it basically, the the implication is that it came from a lab arguably it's bsl4 actually labs so it's the highest but covid is not at that level so covid is what does it does it say level two or level three level two or three until it gains function i don't know the research is being done at like the level two and level three level gotcha so as Koblenz and Lenzos points out, not all of the labs are especially concerning from a safety perspective, nor is the fact that there are more of them being built. Um, they actually talk about it here at the very, um, towards the middle of the article. There isn't anything necessarily worrying about BSL-4 processing blood tests for Ebola, and you can do potentially dangerous work at BSL-3 and 2 um, if you're working with relatively benign pathogens that could grow significantly more transmissible or deadly in the lab. So uh, this is what I was speaking of. And if it gains additional function, then the risk to um, human to human spread um, and ultimately the death of those humans um, would raise it into BSL-4 um, and obviously I'm a neophyte to the deeper research of this kind of stuff. Um, but we witnessed something that hasn't happened in a hundred years. And the only reason it wasn't more disastrous to humanity was the fact that uh, fundamental research was done billions of dollars spent on that research and a level headed response with people taking the vaccine was done in many countries. One of the countries where it just doesn't apparently matter um, is China, and they're still dealing with thousands upon thousands of infections. Um, what we really don't want to happen is this thing to treat a country that doesn't take it seriously as if it is a global Petri dish and evolving at a rate that would have been hobbled by vaccinations uh, and proper um, uh, personal protection. 
Well, you're going to have to read the rest of this article um, because it says, uh, you know, do we need to know what started COVID to move on on all of this? Um, uh, on institute standards and oversight, at least at the national level, endeavoring to uh, establish some shared framework internationally as well to agree that there are real risks of some cutting edge virology or virological uh, research and that such decisions about the research uh, should reckon with those risks. Yeah, I think that we do need to know where and who and what and why and how, because you can't plug a leak unless you know where the water's coming from. And we don't know where the water's coming from in a scientific manner. We can all point fingers at places. Right now, they're all pointing at a wet market in China, uh, several miles from the Wuhan virology institute i mean or i guess it's the institute of virology in wuhan that's kind of what it is but um yeah i I think we do need to know uh again follow the link go over and check out this article i I think it's actually a pretty good read um but uh we can't go through the entire thing word for word um we just don't do that here anyway Uh, not until after the show do we end up reading these um with greater fidelity uh, because we have some experience with um, pretty much everything that we've that we talk about every time. Um, that said, the this next one is a little bit more lighthearted, and the list of official Olympics esports games is extremely weird, according to this article. It's over in the Mobile Channel. Let's go straight over to it. It's at Vice.com, and it's written by Renata Price. Uh, the competitive is that Tic Tac bow scene finally yeah. gets the spotlight what is that going to be one of the esports i don't know i hadn't read this um i had heard you know that there was going to be um olympics that people were talking about olympics um esports i never thought that it would actually come into existence um because for most i, I don't know for most people it's not fun to sit in a stadium and watch it's fun to watch the actual gameplay well qualifiers have already begun and will culminate in live for in-person finals at the first ever olympic esports week uh, held in singapore in late june Uh, esports have become increasingly popular and their inclusion in the olympics has been debated for a while However, the obscure assortment of games chosen for the event, some of which pay-to-win mobile games or only available on indie console, are mind-boggling to anyone familiar with esports, which is a space led by games like League of Legends, Call of Duty, Overwatch, and they left off Fortnite. Um, But maybe it... I don't know. Maybe the person doesn't like Fortnite. Anyway, there are, of course, some reasonable choices. Chess, hosted by chess.com. People love chess. It's actually quite popular. Uh, I don't know if Go is going to be in here, but I think Go would have been a a good um, discussion, although it might run for too long. Um, Racing title Gran Turismo, while a bit of a surprising choice, is at least recognizable brand to many people. So let's scroll through here and see if we can find some of these other ones. Uh, virtual taekwondo all right uh wbsce baseball i left off one higher up i'm gonna come back to that in a moment um, because i've i have no idea um 
like no idea what it is. Um, Zwift and virtual regatta, virtual versions of cycling and sailing. Um, let's see what else. No, so let's go back to the one that's that kind of tick tack bow. It's an archery game, a game created by Refract Technologies, a Singapore based studio and published by Project 99. It's also worth noting that Refract Technologies founder is an active commission member of the Global Esports Federation. The game does that's also what also in the location of the Olympics. So I think that's probably not coincidence either. But are you saying that there's something else going on here? Is that the implication? No, I'm thinking that they're going to feature a local company. Got it. Okay. Okay. That's, um, and so this is an archery game, tic tac bow. I guess it's something like tic tac toe but it combines archery. So uh, the next time your child um, puts an X or a knot, you shoot an arrow at them. Anyway, um, so it's a game. Uh, what does it say here? Only 150 downloads for this game, right? The game does what it says on the tin, combining archery and classic children's game, Tic-Tac-Toe, and re was released in late February of this year to so far only 150 downloads okay so it's a qualified product for the olympics got it i would say aim high but those arrows come down <laughs> that's right all right folks so that is it for today we've gone through our 11 articles again i am marwat that is hometown.com it's a whole lot swifter now and our search engine is really speedy too um there are times where it's going to be slow we're working on stuff uh primarily the the search engine um, to speed up its capabilities so if uh it is kind of meh um just i guess let it do its thing because it'll spit out all the results um and sometimes it's parsing well in all times it's parsing back 14 months worth of time um and sometimes, depending on what the search terms are, it's pulling thousands of articles um, and compiling them in a, uh, a list uh, based on uh, how they, based on the terms. So you're supposed to get relevant first. So uh, give it a shot. But that's it for tonight. You wanna to say bye to everyone, all of the citizens? Good night, hometown citizens. And we will see you at tomorrow's show. We will. Bye-bye. 9 p.m. Eastern. Uh, assuming an asteroid doesn't hit or a cheetah doesn't eat me or I don't know. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.